Welcome to episode number 30 of the Better With Brock podcast. Today is going to be a solo podcast where I'm going to be breaking down the five best quadricep exercises and why. These can be for muscle building purposes, for skill development purposes, for getting better at form purposes. I'm going to break down why I personally think they are the best quad exercises. And other coaches may not think this, but this is my unique opinion that I've developed over my times of study, my times of being a personal trainer since 2015, and also just what I've experienced myself and my clients as well. And that's you know a pretty big uh, information slash data pool that I can draw from. And then at the end of this, I'm going to be reading out some questions from my Instagram story Q and A's and answer them on here. I do, uh, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, it is at Brock Ashby, B-R-O-C-K-A-S-H-B-Y. Uh, you can follow me. I do on my stories Q and A's every single day. So I'm answering questions that you have around anything really, mostly fitness and nutrition, but also lifestyle business and kind of personal questions as well. So I'll be doing that towards the end. Uh, firstly, I just want to welcome everyone to the Built by Brock eight-week challenge. We are currently in the first week and it's been an amazing turnout. I love that people are doing the workouts. They're tagging me. Um, they're sharing uh, their stories in the in the Facebook group, which you become a part of when you join Built by Brock and get involved with the challenge. And it's been awesome to see people really giving it a go. I called it the back to business challenge because uh, that's what the start of the year is about, getting back to business, getting back into, uh, I guess, normal life routine away from, you know, we have this break period where Christmas and holidays, we are slowing down. Uh, we're often eating more, potentially not moving more. So it's good to get that whole back to business mindset. Okay, what's my year going to look like? And I feel like when you start the year strong, it really sets you up for success for all avenues of life, not just your physique and your body, but also uh, other aspects that you care about, which could be your family, which could be your career and uh, other things that you enjoy doing. So uh, it's been awesome to see people making small changes. And that's what I'm all about. Some people are focusing on technique and form and worrying about nutrition, probably the second or third week, because it can be really overwhelming when you're trying to make a change and doing too much at one time can ultimately lead to a disaster. It can just be like, well, this is too much. I'm going to give up. So I'm a big fan of this one to 2% change that we make every day, every week, even, even every month. And that can lead to substantial change over time. It's not sexy. It's not extreme. There's no shock value and it's not going to go viral on TikTok, but this idea of becoming 1% better every day or making 1% to 2% changes over a week, a month, a year is going to pay dividends into the future version of yourself, which is what I'm all about. And that's been happening in the challenge. So I just wanted to say a big welcome to everyone in the Built by Brock 8-Week Challenge. Now let's jump into the podcast uh, with these five best quad exercises. The first one you may not be aware of if you haven't done any of my programs, it is the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat. And I was introduced to this exercise when I first became a personal trainer in Sydney. I started in Auckland, then I went to Gold Coast. But when I moved to Sydney, I really dived into education and I met a, I wouldn't say a mentor because we're not really 
best buds and hang out and talk and stuff. But Tony Bataji, who was actually on a previous podcast that we did, he was one of the first coaches that really slapped me in the face and was like, hey, man, you need to really get smarter and understand how the body works before you really grow as a personal trainer and become successful, whatever that is to me. Um, but he introduced me to the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat. I'd seen it at the gym a couple of times and I was curious as to where it came from. And they all said they learned it from Tony Bitaji. So I did a few of his courses and I learned the beauty of this exercise. If you're unaware of the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat, it's a split squat, which is described as a static lunge. So your feet are apart in an athletic running stance as if you're about to take off. And then you lunge down to the floor. Um, now, the difference between a lunge and a split squat, a lunge is where you, a forward lunge was would be when you lunge forward and then step back to the start position. Lunge forward, step back to the start position. A reverse lunge is step back and then step forward into the starting position. But a split squat, the starting position is where your feet are one foot in front of the other or separated in an athletic stance, and then you lunge down and lunge up without actually stepping forward or back. So you're stationary. It's a stationary lunge. And instead of just doing it on the floor, which is a standard split squat, sorry, I'm just trying to adjust my legs to get comfortable, which is a standard split squat, we are elevating the front foot. And the front foot can be elevated on a step, or it can be elevated on a weight plate, which is what I do quite a lot. So I grab a 25 kg weight plate or even a 20 and put it on the floor and my front foot starts on that. And it's called a front foot elevated split squat because your front foot is elevated. It's not a very complicated situation, but we elevate our front foot. And the beauty of this is when our front foot is elevated, it allows us to get more range of motion than we would if our feet were both flat on the floor. And with that extra range of motion, what we can do is sit deeper into that split squat. And a split squat is kind of just like a single leg squat. It's not a pistol because you have both legs on the floor, but it's a it's a split squat where you're, you're getting extra range of motion and you can really drive your knee over your toe. Now, if you think that that is bad for your knees or bad for your ankles or bad for you in general, putting your knees over your toes, you need a wake-up call. It's 2023 now. We can't be believing these crazy myths. Putting your knees over your toe is absolutely fine, okay? Especially when your knee is in line with your toe. If your knees cave in or cave out too wide, then it can be problematic. But if your knee is going over your toe, like a plane would land on the runway, then that's completely fine. And the reason I love the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat is you can really drive your knee over your toe and really sit your butt onto your heels. And that increases your ankle mobility. So the reason that I like the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat isn't because it's just a muscle building exercise that builds you jacked quads. No, 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 no. The reason I love it is because it helps increase your mobility, which leads to a better back squat, which is the holy grail of leg exercises. So to get better at a back squat, we want to start with a front foot elevated dumbbell split squat. And when you're working with me as a coach, I often program front foot elevated dumbbell split squats before I give you any sort of squats because I want to qualify you and make sure that you can actually squat. A lot of people will 
injure themselves when they do back squats or say, oh, it hurts my lower back or it hurts my knees, it hurts my hips, uh, hurts hurts my ankles even. And that's not because their form for the back squat uh, is off. It's ultimately because they're not qualified to do a back squat yet. They need to increase their mobility. They don't have the mobility to do a squat. And the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat help solves that. So if you picture this with me once again, we have a weight plate or a step on the floor and we step on it with our front foot and our back foot is back like we're going to do a split squat. And now as we're lowering down to the ground, instead of just going up and down like an elevator, if you're watching me on YouTube, then my hands are going up and down. <laughs> if you're listening to me on Spotify, you might just have to picture this. But instead of going up and down like an elevator in the split squat, you want to push forward and backwards as well as going up and down. So it's more of an escalator. So you're going down and forward at the same time to really push your butt to your heels with the front foot and your knees over your toes whilst keeping your heel down of the front foot and then pushing back. So that's going to challenge your quads. So it's still going to be a good muscle building exercise for your quads, but it's also going to allow you to push your knee over your toe. And if you can't, it's going to allow you to get better at that movement. And the better we get with our ankle mobility, which is ultimately our ability to keep our feet flat on the floor, but our knees travel over our toes, that's going to allow us to do a better back squat, which is the reason I like the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat. And the reason I wanted to talk about it first, because this is your entry to a sexy back squat. And that's what we want, a sexy back squat in the gym. When I see someone that just does a flawless back squat in the gym, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than me seeing a flawless back squat. And the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat is usually the, the pathway to that. And that may not be done in one program in four weeks, but maybe four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks later, your back squat improves. Because most people's back squat sucks because they don't have any ankle mobility. They have really tight calves as well, which can be the reason why you can't get your knees over your toes. Because to do a successful back squat, as the grass sit nice and low, we we need to put our knees over our toes with our with our knees in line with our toes, like a plane lands on a runway. So, the reason I love the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat is not because it's the best muscle building exercise, because it's probably not. However, it does make you more mobile and leads to a better back squat. So that's number one. That's why I wanted to say that first. Like you probably think I would have said back squat first, or the leg press build big quads, blah blah blah. This is the best exercise. No, I think this is better for sustained training. And for a beginner or someone that's relatively new to training, the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat would be the first exercise I would encourage you to get really good at. The second exercise, the second best quad exercise that I recommend is the leg extension. The leg extension machine has a bit of a bad rap. It's a bodybuilder bro exercise, right? Everyone just thinks, oh, just warm up and do three sets of 20 on the leg extension. And then I go do my real workout. But the leg extension is one of my favorite exercises. And it's not because I can sit down and it's really easy. That's a great attraction point to me too, though, for people that are relatively new to the gym and just want a simple exercise where you kick your legs forward and back. But the leg extension is one of the only quad exercises that does a specific thing. And that is challenging the quadriceps in a shortened position or a flexed position. Now, what does that mean? That means that the leg extension 
is hardest at the top. When you're squeezing your quads and you're at the top of that leg extension rep, that is the hardest point of the exercise. Now, let's do a little task right now. Can you think of any other exercise that does that for your quads? Just think of the exercises. When it's hardest at the top, what other exercise does that for your quads? Let's look at a back squat. When we go down and we're down at the bottom of a squat, that's where it's the hardest, at the bottom. Coming up to the top of the rep, it's easy because you're standing up. Uh, let's look at a lunge. Same thing, it's the hardest at the bottom. Um, leg press, hardest at the bottom. What other quad exercises do we have? A hack squat, it's hardest at the bottom. Uh, lunges, hardest at the bottom. I've already said that. Sorry, split squats, hardest at the bottom. Bulgarian split squat, hardest at the bottom. Any sort of squat variation is going to be hardest at the bottom. But the only exercise that's going to make it hardest at the top when we're flexing our muscles in our quads in the shortened position, the only exercise that does that is the leg extension. So that's why it's such a crucial exercise for me to give to my clients because it's the only exercise that does that. And if we're challenging our muscles, our quad muscles, only in the stretched position or when it's hardest at the bottom, we're going to leave out the benefits of challenging our muscles also at the top position. And this gives our muscles more of a complete workout, if that makes sense. So instead of it just being hard when our muscles are stretched and the weight is against it, it's going to be hard at the top where we're squeezing. And this gives us variation. And this means it has a different resistance profile. And I don't want to get too complicated because this already is semi-complicated. If you don't really, if you're not new to, like if you're new to training, this is going to be relatively uh, high level, but if you've been training for a while, intermediate to advanced, the leg extension is 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 the only exercise for quads that is uh, challenged in the top position or shortened position. Um, so I like to do it at least once per week. A set of three, a set of four, a set of five, minimum once per week, because then you're getting this, this variation in resistance profile, which is great for the development of your quads. So in terms of a muscle building exercise, the leg extension is a must. And I think personally, it has to be in your program at least once per week. If you're not doing that, then you're really shortchanging yourself in terms of your quad development. I also think it's a relatively simple exercise. Like I said before, you can do it if you're new, if you're advanced, if you don't have that great coordination, it's a great place to start. You can just sit down, raise your legs and put your legs back down. Let's talk a few technique tips with the leg extension machine, even though it's relatively simple, you want your butt to stay down. Sometimes when you kick the weight up and you straighten your legs, extend your legs, if you're a bit lighter or the weight's quite heavy, your butt can lift off the floor. Grab the handles by your hips and pull your butt down into the leg extension machine and kick forward. And that's going to keep you nice and stable. The more stable you are, the more weight you'll be able to lift. That's a principle that carries over in every exercise. So grab the handles, pull yourself down. Secondly, when you're lifting the weight, when you're straightening your legs and it's hardest at the top, don't accelerate so fast that the weight kicks up off your legs, comes off contact with your legs and then comes back down and hits your leg. We don't want to accelerate that fast that the weight comes off our legs and then comes crashing back down on our legs. What we want to do is we can accelerate out of the start of the exercise 
but we don't want to accelerate so far that it comes off our legs because then we lose tension on our muscles. And one of the uh, keys to building muscle is time under tension. And when we take that time under tension and decrease it when we don't need to, then we're potentially losing out on any gains that we could make. So I'm all about increasing the uh, potential we can to make gains. So with that, we want to keep our muscles under tension for as long as possible when we're doing a set. And for leg extension, that just means not accelerating too fast. So those are the two technique tips I want to give you with the leg extension. And that is number two of the best quad exercises that I recommend. I slightly want to backpedal because I missed some technique tips on the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat. So let me quickly go over them. So the front foot elevated split squat can be done with dumbbells on your side, but you can also do it with a barbell on your back. You can also do it with a safety bar on your back. You can also do it body weight if you're just learning it. One thing I find with front foot elevated dumbbell split squats is as I get stronger, my forearms struggle to hold the dumbbells for that massive amount of time. If you're doing 10 reps per leg, that's 20 reps. To be holding 30 kilo dumbbells on each side can be really fatiguing on your forearms. So what you can do is wear lifting straps to help lock in the dumbbells, or you can use a barbell, which is what I do, because uh, I can get quite strong at these at times. And, you know, I want to be lifting more than 30 kg each hand. You know, I'd, I'd, I would want to do 40 kg each hand with dumbbells. That's just too hard for my forearms. So I usually get a barbell and do 80 kg instead. And I find that a lot easier. And I find that my legs fatigue before my forearms, which is the goal of any good muscle building exercise to target the, the, the target muscle as opposed to my forearms. So there's a technique tip there. Choose the apparatus in terms of the weight that you want to load uh, intelligently. Uh, and another few technique tips is with the front leg, keep the heel down, push the knee over toe, make sure the knee is in line with the toe. And that's ultimately it. We'll stop there. So the third exercise, the third best quad exercise that I recommend is the Holy Grail. Like I said, the back squat. The back squat is one of my favorite quad exercises. And the first exercise, the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat lends itself to having a great back squat. And the reason I love the back squat, not only because, um, because it's great for muscle building and it's great for getting strong, but there's a little thing that people often overlook with the back squat and it's the mental fortitude that it develops. When you put some heavy ass weight on your back and you squat that out, there's no better feeling. The mental development that you get to smash goals, to, to, to lift weights you've never lifted, to apply progressive overload is huge. And that's a really important part of training that people don't understand. Some people find weights so therapeutic. They find it so fulfilling. They find it so stress relieving. And I think that's because not only the physical benefits, but the mental benefits that you get from smashing goals. And then ultimately this goal smashing mindset has a ripple effect into other areas of your life, most likely your career. And you start smashing goals there. And then you start smashing goals with your friends and your family and you become a better person. And there's no bigger believer than me in the ripple effect from weight training into your life. And the back squat is a great example of that. But let's talk about the practical aspect. So why is the back squat one of the best quad exercises? Well, because you can lift a decent amount of weight. The way that you load the back squat with a lot of weight 
cannot really be replicated in many exercises. You could argue that the leg press, you can do just as much or maybe more. But if your technique in the squat is strong and you practice it a lot because the back squat is a is a skill. Yes, it's an exercise, but it's a skill. The more you squat, the better you get. And the better you get at squatting, the more efficient it's going to be. And then the stronger you will become. So I like the back squat because you can lift a lot of weight. I also like the back squat because you can bias different muscles with the back squat. So let me take you through three examples of a back squat. We have the standard back squat where your feet are on the ground and you just squat. That is uh, the classic squat. Then we have the heel elevated squat. Now the heel elevated squat is often seen with two little plates underneath your heels. So you are more on your toes or have kind of like a slight elevation with your heels. So you're slightly higher, like you're on high heels, but they're really low. And then you squat down. Now what elevated heels do is they give you some extra ankle mobility and they allow you to sit deeper in your squat. And when you sit deeper in your squat, your knees push further over your toes, which I was talking about earlier. And this is called knee flexion. And the more knee flexion that we have, the more quad bias we're going to have with our squats. So if you do want to really grow your quads, like I had a huge goal of doing that when I first started personal training, I felt like my quads were just kind of thick. Like me and my mate used to joke, I had rugby legs, no definition, but just kind of solid. And I didn't like that. I wanted to have more definition. So I really focused on back squats and leg extension. And and, and now I have some more definition, even though I would like more, um, I've made some big progress in that, uh, in that direction. But with the back squat, when we have our heels elevated, we're going to get more quads. Okay. So if you really want to focus on quads, elevating your heels is a good way because you get to sit deeper into that squat, get more knee over toes, which biases the quads more. Now, if we want to do a barbell with a low bar setup, that's going to target more or not target more so bias the hamstrings and the glutes still working the quads, but with a low bar setup, instead of the barbell being up on your traps the barbell is loaded on your rear deltoids so it's lower on your back and because it's lower on your back you have to implement a slight lean forward to make the barbell be in line with the middle of your foot if you were standing side on and looking at yourself squat and when you squat down with a low bar squat your shins are relatively vertical to the floor sorry perpendicular to the floor so it's like a 90 degree angle. So your knees aren't going very far over your toes. So that must mean it's less quads and more something else. What is that something else? It's more glutes and hamstrings. So with these three types of squats, you can bias different muscle groups. You can bias quads, you can bias glutes and hamstrings, or you can kind of be in the sweet spot with a classic back squat. So that is number three for me. The back squat has a feeling like no other when you come back up out of the bottom of the squat with a massive weight on your back. There's no better feeling. Um, it really does help with strength building. So with the back squat, in terms of rep ranges, I like to sit on the lower end, anywhere between two to eight, maximum kind of 10. That's a good spot for squats. I feel like when you go more it's more of a cardio exercise. You get so out of breath. Your heart rate's going crazy that it's not really your quads that are stopping you from squatting. It's more so your heart, 
which can be another goal that you can focus on. But if you want to get strong and build muscle, the back squat's a great exercise to do for that lower end rep range. And then you can save those higher rep ranges for things like split squats, lunges, leg press, hack squat, um, leg extension, you know, and, and then you get this variation of, of different rep ranges. So back squat, a bit of a heavier exercise um, that I really like to double up on um, with weight and sit on my strength blocks. Um, same thing goes with deadlifts. Like if you're deadlifting for more than, you know, 10 reps, it, it's, it's a bit of a cardio exercise and even your lower back can get involved because it's isometrically involved. And same with your back squat. Sometimes your lower back can hurt. If your form's good, that shouldn't happen, but sometimes it can. So when you do more reps, your lower back can fatigue if it's not strong. Um, with rep ranges with leg extension, look, you can do anywhere from, man, like six reps to 20, 30 reps. That's pretty standard. Um, with front foot elevated dumbbell split squat, uh, I like to sit around eight to 12 reps per leg. When you go too heavy on a single leg exercise, like a front foot elevated dumbbell split squat, it can be, um, a bit more joint. Uh, you feel like your joint and connective tissues are working a bit too much as opposed to muscles when it's a bit heavy. Um, and I don't like to go more than 12 reps per leg because then that's around 24 reps and that's a long time to be holding dumbbells and holding weight on your body. So often, you know, your forearms will fatigue before your legs do. Um, and then you're just doing, it's taking too long. Like if you do 20 reps per leg, that's 40 reps, that's ages. Your heart's going to be, uh, you know, fatiguing before your legs do. So ultimately when you're trying to build muscle and, uh, and, and, and get stronger, you want your muscles fatiguing before your heart does. <laughs> Maybe you're just really unfit. Um, but often that's what we want to focus on with hypertrophy. So that's the first three exercises for quads. The second one is going to be the leg press. Now, the, the reason the leg press is after the back squat is because they're relatively similar movements. But the biggest difference between a back squat and a leg press is the complexity of the exercise and the amount of stabilization muscles that are required. So if I go back to number three, the back squat, because the back squat and leg press are like compared often because they are similar. The back squat, like your lower back's engaged, your abs are engaged, um, your upper body's engaged because your elbows are pulling back and down. Um, you know, your knees are lining up to your toes. So your whole body is involved. Your calves are pushing from the floor with the leg press. It's less lower back, less core, less stabilization because you, you don't have to stand up and hold the weight on your back whilst you're doing the exercise with the leg press. All you're doing, your legs are going up and down. You're just pushing forward and pushing back. You're not actually holding any weight on your back. You're not spinally loaded. You're just literally pushing the weight back and forward. So for that reason, the, the leg press is an easier exercise. You are more stable. And that's why sometimes people can lift more weight on the leg press than they can on the back squat because it is a more stable exercise. Like I said, if you're more stable, you're going to be stronger no matter what exercise you're doing. So with the leg press, it's more stable than the back squat. So most people are a bit stronger on the leg press. Like I can do 200 kg on the leg press. I can't squat 200 yet. That's because my squat's probably not as strong and I need to do more. But with the leg press, it's more stable. So I'm able to lift more weight. Like I can do 200 for like 10 reps, 15 reps, uh, when I would never dream of that with my back squat. I'm still at like 170 kg for one, uh, which is pretty pitiful, to be honest, for my amount of lifting. So with the leg press, I really like it 
for a muscle building exercise because it's more stable, because you can uh, really push yourself and lift more weight than you probably could in any other exercise for your quads. And also it's just, it's safer to fail on. Now, I'm not saying you should fail the leg press because if you get squashed with a lot of weight on you, that's not a good exercise, right? <laughs> like we don't want to squash ourselves, but it's a bit safer to fail on than the back squat. Like if you have people watching you leg press, they can save the weight from squashing you and rack the weights and you're all good. With the back squat, you can also get people to 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 spot you and help you. But with the back squat, if you did fail, like I have, like by myself, it can be problematic. It's such a complex, unstable exercise that if you fail, it's it's really awkward to, you know, which way does the weight go? Which way do you fall? Um, and you have a higher risk of injury than, you know, in leg press, if you fail, you can just like stop the weights from hitting you if you can't get it up or people can help you uh, before it comes to that position. Now, ultimately, we don't want to fail, completely fail on any exercise, but leg press is definitely one of those ones that you can take closer to failure. An example of the exercises that we've talked about today that can actually be taken quite close to failure is the leg extension. Because if you fail your leg extension, nothing bad is going to happen. So that's one of the exercises you can take really close to failure, even like until your legs are shaking and can't do any more reps, that's great. But if you did that on the back squat and leg press, then, you know, you, you're going to get caught under some weight. You're going to get caught. So with the leg press, um, it's a great exercise for building muscle. You can do a lot of reps. You can do drop sets quite easily, quite, quite quick, quite fast. You can get people to take the weights off. You can do 10 more. You can take the weights off again. You can do 10 more, you know, like, 20 plate each side it's a really good exercise for really pushing close to failure drop sets rest pause method um yeah so i'm a big fan of the leg press for that so i like to do machines like leg extension and leg press a bit later on in the workout when we're a bit more fatigued because the exercises are more stable generally when we're doing machines uh technique tips leg press what we want to do is same thing with the leg extension grab the handles beside our butt and pull ourselves down. One of the biggest injuries that occur on the leg press is, is when your, your lower back or your butt lifts off the ground and then your, your lower back rounds. So we don't want that to happen. How do we prevent that? We don't go too low for our mobility and flexibility that we currently have. And we also don't lift our butt off the pad. We keep it down. We grab the handles and pull ourselves down into, into the bench, into the seat that we're on. And we keep pulling ourselves the whole time until we finish. Because as soon as our butt lifts up, that's the equivalent of your spine rounding at the bottom of a squat. And that's where the pressure is on your lower back and not necessarily on your legs, which is the target muscles, the quads. Okay, so those are some technique tips for leg press. Another thing I'll say with breathing, and this goes for back squat and for leg press because we're doing significant amounts of weight with the back squat and leg press. I talked about this on Instagram recently. We want to pretend as if we cannot breathe. So for a back squat, we cannot breathe as soon as we go under the line of our shoulders. Like there's water up to our shoulders. We take a breath. We hold that breath. We go down. We squat to the bottom. And then we squat up. And then as soon as we're close to standing up or do stand up, we, we breathe out. And then we take our breath again. We go down. We hold it. We hold it. We hold it. We push back up from the bottom. We're still holding our breath, holding our breath. As soon as we're almost stood up, 
we breathe out. Because if we breathe out air out at the bottom of a rep for leg press or for back squat, then we're going to lose our tightness. And if we lose our tightness in the back squat, in the leg press, at the bottom of the rep, that's where it can be problematic for our lower back because we lose the strength of our core and the strength of our breath that we should be taking from our diaphragm. And when we lose that, it's look, you can get up, but it might hurt your lower back because you're in a weakened place at the hardest point of the exercise. I talked about this earlier in the podcast. At the bottom of most exercises for quads, it is the hardest. So when it's the hardest, we need to be our strongest. And that is when we have air in our lungs and in our diaphragm and a strong core. And we lose that when we breathe out. So we must not breathe out or release our air at the bottom of a back squat or a leg press. All right. The last exercise, my my last five best quad exercises. The fifth one is the Bulgarian split squat. Now, this would be number one for the most hated quad exercise worldwide because it, to be honest, it just sucks. It has that mental fortitude side of things like the back squat does. When you do a set of Bulgarian split squats, you feel awesome because they just suck so much. And you're like, it's like waking up and jumping in a cold shower. You're doing something that you don't want to do, but you know it's good for you. That's a Bulgarian split squat. And that's one reason I like them. But the second one is it's just a great exercise because we can do things to bias it for quads and uh, hamstrings and glutes or sweet spot in between. But we're also working an exercise called, uh, sorry, a muscle called the rectus femoris or rec fem for short in that back leg and also um, stretching out our hip flexors. So that's the main difference between the Bulgarian split squat and other exercises, say like a normal back squat or a leg press, we have that back leg stretching out. And that back leg stretching out is stretching out our rectus femoris, like I said, rec fem, and also our hip flexor. And these muscles are the muscles that often tighten when we sit down. And man, has the time that we sit down per day increased? We sit down a lot. We have sedentary jobs. We get home, we sit down and watch TV. We go sit on our laptop working. We're sitting, right? We're sitting a lot. So to get us out of that position, a Bulgarian split squat is awesome. That's also why I like the uh, reverse Nordic curl because you are stretching out your your quads, your rec fem, and your hip flexors. So uh, it's elongating them as opposed to them being bunched up and squashed when you're sitting. So the biggest benefit I want to talk about with the Bulgarian split squat is one that probably many people don't talk about is the fact that it almost undoes the 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 harmful things uh, that happens when we sit for so long. Um, it really opens up our hips, which is a, a big positive. And that's where a lot of lower back pain can come from. That's where... Um, you know, tight hip, hip flexors can come from, which leads to once again, a poor back squat. So if we're doing uh Bulgarian split squats and even front foot elevated dumbbell split squats as well, it's opening up that back leg whilst we're working the front leg. So we're almost getting a double whammy of benefits. We're building muscle in the front leg, but also building flexibility and mobility in that back leg through it being stretched out. Now the Bulgarian split squat, I've talked about this on Instagram too, with a short step, and our knees going more over toes, we are getting more quads because of the knee flexion, like I mentioned earlier. If you put your working leg, your front leg quite far out, 
And when you uh, split squat down, you hit more of a 90 degree angle at your knees, then you're going to be biasing more towards hamstring and glutes, although your quads are still involved. And if you have a step that's in between short and long, you have a sweet spot of hitting quads and glutes and hamstrings. It's more of a kind of standard approach, like the standard back squat, as opposed to the heel elevated or low bar back squat, like we talked about previously. So with the Bulgarian split squat, I really like that. Um, the fact that you can bias different muscle groups, the fact that it's mentally challenging and the fact that you're increasing your flexibility and mobility of your back leg. So to summarize these quad exercises before I get into the uh, the story Q&As that I want to tackle with you, we're doing this live. Um, let me just summarize. Number one was the front foot elevated dumbbell split squat. Number two was the leg extension. Number three was the back squat. Number four was the leg press. And number five was the Bulgarian split squat. Now, lastly, some technique tips for the Bulgarian split squat. They're going to be pretty similar to the other ones in terms of the back squats and the front foot elevated dumbbell split squats. But we want uh, our heels to stay down on the floor with our front leg. Now, with our back leg, we want to go laces down on the bench. Sometimes the bench is too high to do Bulgarian split squats. So you may have to find an alternative around in the gym. But we want that front working leg to stay down on the floor. Keep it down. And that back leg is laces down. So our foot is ultimately upside down and, 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 and resting our shoelaces on the bench, not up on the toe. We want to rest our shoelaces on the bench. Um, with the Bulgarian split squat, we don't want our legs like in the same line like a tightrope. We want them like railways. So you still want your left leg under your left shoulder, your right leg under your right shoulder. A lot of people will lose their balance with Bulgarian split squats because they try to do this tightrope approach where their left leg is in the middle of their body and so is their right leg. And that just creates a weird kind of balance beam where you'll never be stable. And once again, if your stable is lower, your sorry, if your stability is lower, then your strength is going to be lower as well. With every exercise, we want to be as stable as possible. So with the Bulgarian split squat, we want our legs on similar railway tracks that they are when we walk. We don't walk on a, on, on, a, on a balance beam when we're walking down the street. We walk with our left leg under our left shoulder and our right leg under our right shoulder. We want the same thing when we're doing the Bulgarian split squat. And with the Bulgarian split squat, we're not breathing out at the bottom as well. Because once again, it's hardest at the bottom. So we want to do that Bulgarian split squat with... Uh, our breath held until we get near the top and then we breathe out and then we take another breath in, hold it while we go down, hold it while we go up, breathe out while when we're almost at the top. All right. Now I'm just going to take a sip of coffee and get my phone and I'm going to answer some Instagram story questions. If you do have questions that I don't cover and you don't uh, get them answered on my Instagram story Q and A's, you can email them into team at teambrockashby.com. We'll see them and uh, I will answer them for sure. So let me just jump in to the story questions. All right. So I I, I did a Q&A the other day and I said, um, what's one thing you're confused about with fitness? Because I wanted to clarify some things. Like there's so many, inf there's so much information on on the internet. So this is really nice to 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 clarify things. Uh, okay, I'm going to take one from uh, at Wesley Center, which says, bulking and shredding, too afraid of getting fat bulking. All right. So with, 
with bulking and shredding, uh, I am a big fan of that approach. I'm not saying that you have to get fat when you bulk and get extremely shredded when you're skinny, but I do believe in pursuing one goal at a time, right? There's a saying that I love, one bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And that ultimately just means if you have something and go for it, that's much more secure and better than going for two things because you probably miss out on them. And it's the same thing when you're going for muscle building and when you're going for fat loss. If you try and do both at the same time, you're probably not going to get either of them. But if you go for one, that's that bird in the hand that you're probably going to get with the right strategies, of course. So with bulking, the thing that people need to understand, and this is not sexy, and this is why this probably will not be posted on Instagram because no one will care about it. With bulking, you are going to increase your body fat. If you build muscle without gaining an ounce of body fat, you're either a beginner, you're someone who has returned to weights after a long time, you are um, obese or extremely overweight because in a calorie deficit, you still have um, your body fat tissue that you can use as fuel, or you're on steroids, performance enhancing drugs, all right? These are the four populations that can get away with it. But if you don't fit in that category, which is me, which is most people that have been lifting for over six months to a year, you have to go for one thing at a time. And you have to understand that when you're building muscle, the best way to do that is to be in a bulk, is to be in a calorie surplus. And a calorie surplus means you're consuming more calories than you're burning and you're going to have to gain a bit of body fat and you have to make peace with that. And this is why no one can stick to a bulk because they're literally afraid of getting fat. And I understand where you're coming from, especially if you have been fat previously, or if you feel like your confidence decreases when you gain body fat, I get it, right? Because I'm human too. When I gain too much body fat and I'm in a bulking phase, I struggle with it a bit and I might pull the calories back and I might go back to maintenance or to a cut to, to get rid of that fat. But it's an essential part of building muscle optimally okay and the thing is when you go into a calorie surplus you have to acknowledge that it's the best way to build muscle and also acknowledge that you can get rid of that fat that you're building right because you're building muscle but you're also building up body fat but when you cut you will maintain that muscle mass through lifting heavy weights and you will drop the body fat through being in a calorie deficit so just remember we are unfinished projects at all times and we are never finished and when we build muscle and when we get into that calorie surplus and our body fat goes higher, we have to know that we are going to lose that later on. And we have the power to do that or else it's disempowering. And we get there and we go, oh man, I'm just fat. I need to lose weight again. So then all you've pretty much done is gained fat, a little bit of muscle maybe, and then just drop the body fat and you haven't spent enough time bulking to actually build a significant amount of muscle because building muscle takes time. Okay. And, and, and a lot of people, when they start bulking, they will bulk for maybe a month and go and get fed up and go, this isn't working. So they just eat whatever they want. They have cheat meals everywhere. They just go, I'm not tracking calories. I'm just going to lift heavy and eat heaps of food. So then they just do that and they just get really fat. They build minimal amounts of muscle and then they just get into a calorie deficit for ages 
longer than they ever needed to just to get back to a place where they were, okay? And a bigger calorie surplus does not mean a bigger deposit of muscle that we make, right? That's why I only recommend a 5% calorie surplus when trying to build muscle because when we <laughs> when we eat more than 5% of our calorie surplus, often that is just unnecessary unless you're a hard gainer that really struggles to gain weight. But if you're at like a 10%, 15%, 20% calorie surplus, you're just overeating. You're just having cheap meals. You're eating takeaways and you're excusing yourself saying, oh, I'm bulking. No, you're not. You're just being lazy and you're eating too much because you're impatient and you think that the weight that you're gaining is muscle, but it's not. Okay. So I won't spend too much more time. Uh, I don't know why I sound angry at someone. Like I'm like talking to someone. That <laughs> but I'm just answering this question honestly, because the most annoying thing to see is someone try to bulk. Someone just eat too much food and excuse it as bulking. They don't spend enough time in a calorie surplus to actually build muscle. So they just ultimately get fat. And then they try to lose that. And if they do things right, they successfully lose that body fat, but then they're just in the same position that they were before with the same amount of muscle. So like all you did, if that happened to you was just get fat and lose fat. But what we want to do is spend enough time in a calorie surplus to encourage that muscle building process to happen. And in that calorie surplus, recovery is better. Performance is better. So we want to spend a long time in that calorie surplus. That's why it only needs to be small. If it's too big, too early, that calorie surplus is going to get you way too fat. And then you're just going to have too much fat. And then it might be discouraging trying to lose it again and get back to a body fat that you were before. But we want to build muscle and build fat at the same time because it has to happen that way. But then if we only do it conservatively and we don't lose discipline and have cheat meals everywhere, left, right, and center, if we do that conservatively, we can build a nice amount of muscle with minimal amounts of fat so that when we do cut to a point where we do want to get leaner, we have built a significant amount of muscle and we drop that body fat and maintain that muscle mass. And that is how we slowly chip away at depositing more muscle on our body and gaining fat and dropping fat. Depositing more muscle in the surplus, gaining a little bit of fat, dropping that body fat and holding onto the muscle mass. So it doesn't have to be extreme, okay? We don't have to try and gain 40 pounds of muscle in seven weeks. We just need to, like, look, I literally gain about man, 200 grams, 500 grams of muscle a year. It's hard out here, man. Being an advanced lifter is hard out here. It's, it's, it's a hard war that you're fighting, right? If you're not taking steroids and you're an advanced lifter, it does take a long time to build muscle. It's not like losing fat. When you're losing fat, my last Built by Brock eight-week challenge winner lost 10 kilos in eight weeks. You will never build 10 kilos of muscle in eight weeks. Never. Sorry to be so straight up and blunt, but that's never going to happen, right? In a build phase, you're lucky if you build like 200 grams of muscle. And that sounds discouraging, but over five years, that can be a whole kilo of muscle, which once again, sounds pathetic, but <laughs> this is the game we're playing as natural bodybuilders. And it does make a difference because when you, because like now I'm 90 kg, I look like I did three or four years ago, but I was like 87, 86 kg, 88 kg even. So even though I look similar, I have way more muscle mass, which, and by way more, I only mean two kilos, but that is way more. 
So now I'm at 10% body fat, somewhere around that. And I'm 90 kilos where when I was 90 kilos, two or three years ago, four years ago, I looked a lot thicker. I had a lot more body fat, but now I've replaced that with muscle over time. Well, that was a long answer to a question. Okay. Let me, let me go again. Let's find another question. Lifting to failure. Is it every rep or on the last set? Uh, this is from Wesley Center again. I should have chose someone else, but anyway, lifting to failure. Is it every rep or on your last set? So lifting to failure is not going to be on every rep. It's not going to be even on every set or every last set. I like to look at it differently. I like to look at training to failure and reserve that for the weeks three and four of a four-week program. So the first week of a program, you're not training to failure at all. You're getting used to the tempo. You're getting used to the exercises. You're getting used to the sets and the reps and the structure of the program and the amount of rest that you're taking. You better be taking that rest. And then in week number two, you're slightly lifting heavier weights, but you're still kind of easing in to the program. This is only the second week, the second time you're doing these exercises. And then on that third week, you're starting to feel a bit more comfortable. So you start pushing closer to failure on the back end of sets. So if there's four sets on sets three and four, you're really starting to push close to failure. You're, you're leaving about one rep left in reserve, but you may even push to complete failure on some exercises like leg extension, for example, that's a machine and safe to do so. And then on that fourth week, on that fourth week, you give it hell. You train so hard. You train close to failure on pretty much every set because this is the final week of the program. It's the final countdown. <laughs> it's the final week of the program. So you're going to train hard to, to hit personal best, to apply progressive overload, to get strong. You're going to do all this because next week the program's changing and you need to go back to week one of getting used to the sets and reps and tempo and structure of the program. So that is how I personally program failure with my clients and it works great. I do it too. You're not getting strong on the first week of the program. You're not even getting strong on the second week of the program. But on weeks three and four, you really smash it because you have that baseline of the first two weeks where you made progress on your form and on the structure of the program. Okay, let me let me answer another one. Um, what have we got? Tracking pasta, cooked or uncooked. This is Jacqueline.Marie.Martin. I like to track uncooked because when you track cooked, and this is my OCD brain going off, when you track cooked pasta, it has water in it, right? But how much water is it? Is it is it a lot of water? Is it not much water? I feel like pasta and things like rice that you boil um, and that can be holding water, I feel like sometimes it may be holding more water or less water depending on how much you've cooked it. So to have a more accurate way of tracking, I would go with uncooked because when things are raw, things are raw. It's not like, oh, how raw is that? Is it really raw or half raw? Like pastas, uncooked pasta is uncooked pasta. So I would go with uncooked for sure. But that's a great question. And the same thing goes with meat as well, because a well-cooked meat will be different to like medium rare meat because of the blood content. So if you did it raw, it's going to have the same, pretty much the same blood content or amount of rawness for meat as well. So that's just my opinion on that one. Um, 
This is from at totally related to Chuck Norris. What a name. Is it necessary to take protein powder or just highly recommend? I'm new to working out. Lol. Okay. This is a good question. Um, it's not necessary to take protein powder. Protein powder is a source of protein that that is highly convenient. It's it, it's well digested and it's actually quite high quality protein. So it is a great protein source. It's not essential though, especially if you're new to working out. It's not something that you need. It's not something that must be taken daily for gains to be made. It's something that you need to uh, consider if you're not hitting your protein intake. So if you are uh, constantly falling short on your protein target that you need to hit, let's say you need to hit 150 grams of protein a day and you're only hitting 120 or 100. If you add a scoop of protein into your diet, that's going to be 130, 120 grams of protein, which is much closer to 150 than 100 and much better for your muscle maintenance, for your recovery, for your uh, satiety levels or how full you feel. So is it essential? No. Is it a good idea for some people? Hell yeah. I put it in my smoothie every morning. That's an extra 20 to 30 grams of protein that I don't need to worry about later on. So it's not essential. No, but it's a great idea. And I do recommend it to quite a lot of clients because a lot of people don't eat enough protein. If you actually track your calories, you'll begin to realize that your diet's probably not as high as protein as it should be. Uh, it's it's probably more common in females. Most of my female clients do struggle to eat high levels of protein. So it is important to hit when you're looking at building muscle, at maintaining muscle, at trying to feel full when you're dieting on a calorie deficit. Protein is a great idea. So yeah, it's 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 not essential but it's a cheap source of protein as well. And it generally tastes good. Okay. Let me answer a couple more. Um, let me see what will really help. Um, how do you balance travel and keeping consistent with diet and training? This is from uh, Theodonis Gaze or the Adonis Gaze. Um, how do you balance travel and keeping consistent with diet and training? Um, look, it has to be a priority. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. Look, like you can have all the excuses in the world, jet lag. Oh, you know, I have to uh, eat out a lot with my clients when I'm traveling because I'm a businessman or a businesswoman. I get it, right? And all those excuses are valid. But ultimately, it comes down to how important is your fitness? Um, I dealt with a lot of corporate clients that went to a lot of dinners and went to uh, a lot of events where there was alcohol around and they really struggled. And I, I went to the extent of getting them to send me the menus and for me to give them the best choices to have at that restaurant, because I really cared for them and their results. And that seemed to help for some of them. Uh, ultimately, I just asked them if it was necessary to get plastered um, or you could get away with having one to two drinks and just someone asking that question can be a good eye opener. Like, Oh, maybe I don't need to get plastered with my clients because they want me to, to, you know, and, and maybe it helps you get business. But I think also there's something deep down inside of people that respect people that actually stand for something. And I feel like when you um, have one or two and just say no, um, though sometimes it can be offensive to some people, that's their problem. And you need to stand for what you stand for. And if you're trying to prioritize your health at this point in your life, you need to 
just own that. And people need to understand that that's just who you are at this point in time. That doesn't mean you've stopped drinking forever. That doesn't mean that uh, you think drinking um, and people that drink uh, are losers. That's definitely not what it means. It just means at this time, you don't want to drink as much, or maybe you don't want to uh, have a burger. You want to have a salad maybe. And that's cool. You do what you want to do. Something that I've never struggled with is peer pressure and people trying to encourage me to drink or encourage me to eat this or eat that. And this may sound arrogant, but I'll just do what I want because I, I prioritize myself in these situations. Um, because when I'm better, I'm better for everyone else as well. And I think you'll understand that, you know, especially when it's like friends and family and eat this, eat that, drink this, drink that. If you're like, no, like I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to drink less or I'm trying to feel better. And I, I feel better when I drink a bit less. And when I'm hungover, I usually wake up and eat a huge breakfast burrito. And that's not, that's not the thing that I want to do on Sunday morning. I want to go to the gym and, and then play tennis with my kid. Like if, if that stuff makes you feel better, start thinking about that and reverse engineer your life around that. One more question. Let me take one more question. Um, okay. Okay. This is a. Uh, okay. This is the first time I'm looking at these questions too. So I'm trying to, you know, I don't want to have these prepared questions and answers. That's, that's pretty staged, man. That's reality TV stuff. Um, okay. Um, this is not really a question, but I can see where they're coming from. Um, at A-A-D-I-L dot F-0-7-8-6. It's confusing. Um, when you have lost weight, but don't have a six pack, right? So, you know, once again, this was um, a, a question that I asked, what's one thing you're confused about? So it's like, you know, losing weight and not having a six pack. How is that? Like, I can see how that's confusing. Um, number one, it helps to get a six pack. If, if, if that's your goal, if you actually have abs and, and by having abs, I mean like having strong developed abs, like working out your abs, doing kneeling cable crunches, doing ab rollouts, doing planks, doing dumbbell drags side to side, doing dead bugs, um, doing planks, but reaching forward to a drink bottle or something like that. Um, you know, doing a V up, doing hanging knee raises, hanging leg raises. These exercises are going to build your abs and often people don't train abs. So that helps. Number two, it could just be your body fat. Okay, maybe you have lost weight, but you don't have a six pack now. Maybe you haven't lost enough weight. You, you haven't become lean enough. You have to understand Instagram models, TikTok influencers, right? YouTube fitness stars. They have the cream of the crop genetics. And I can speak to that because I have great genetics too. And I would put myself into that category of being a, Instagram fitness dude with a six pack. I have great genetics for that. And I've always been honest about this. I don't store much body fat on my stomach, on my waist. I don't. Okay. I did a DEXA scan and I store most of my body fat in my glutes and my legs. And yes, that is a very privileged position to be because I, I store literally the least amount of body fat on my stomach. So I have abs at very high percentages of body fat. 15%, 20% body fat. I don't think I've been 20, but I've been higher than 15 before and I still had abs. They weren't the most shredded, you know, abs in the world, but I still had abs that people would consider, okay, that guy's got abs. And I was relatively thick. 
but that's just the way my genetics work. So you have to understand that if you do want to get lean, the people on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube that we look at and say, man, they have great bodies. I want to look like them. They have great genetics and it's easier for them if they store less body fat on their stomach. Or have you ever thought of this? This is their full-time job looking like a fitness person. That's how they get paid. That's how Gymshark renews their contract. That's how EHP Labs or any sort of supplement contract keeps them on their payroll because they are shredded, because they are pushing their supplements and getting a commission on that. Like you need to think about this. They train twice a day maybe, or they train every day. They get 10, 20,000 steps per day. They're taking every supplement. They might even be on performance enhancing drugs. But these people are not who you should measure yourself up against, okay? So if you have genetics that you store body fat on your belly, it's going to be harder for you. You might not even have abs at 10% body fat. I've had this lady tell me that she competed in a bodybuilding like uh, bikini show and she didn't have abs and she was under 10% body fat. That's crazy for a female, but that's just the way her genetics works, okay? Maybe she had kids. When you have kids, ladies out there, your body is not the same, okay? Your body's different. You've given birth to a child, which is one of the best miracles in life, but your body may be different. You have to accept that. And everyone's body is different, okay? You may not have the same genetics as me. You may not have the same genetics as the shredded person uh, from Gymshark or the girl with the nice booty and the thin waist, right? You may not have those genetics, but you have the genetics that you were born with. And one thing that I love saying around genetics and this does come down to six packs and losing weight and being satisfied or dissatisfied is that you cannot control your genetics, but you can control what you do with your genetics. And that comes down to mindset. Once again, are you going to be a victim and just be angry at everyone with good genetics? Or are you going to shut up and do the work? Look at Lane Norton. He talks about this a lot. Okay. His name's at uh, bio lane on Instagram. He always talks about, he was not the most genetically gifted male specimen out there. But he's put in years of hard work and he said that he had chicken legs, right? And now he's got like like uh, one of the world's biggest squats and he has decent legs. He's got big legs even and super strong legs as well. This guy was not a victim. He was not like, oh man, I got bad genetics. I'm not going to be in the fitness industry. I'm not going to lift. That's not for me or I'll never be this person or that person. Now he's like one of the strongest men in the world and has a big brand and fitness industry, but it's not based on the size of his legs. It's based on what he's done with his work and with his career, right? And that's a bit of a separate discussion, but the, the ability he has to just accept what he has and work his ass off with what he has is amazing. And I encourage you to do the same. That's the last question that I'm going to answer, guys. We're going to wrap this up. Um, this was the five best quad exercises and why and uh, a Q&A of my story Q&A. So guys, uh, once again, uh, at Brock Ashby on Instagram, if you do want to ask me questions, team at teambrockashby.com is the email. If you want to send through questions and I can answer them as well, that will go direct to me. Um, give us a follow. Check me out on TikTok as well. Just hit 136,000 followers. So we're on the climb there. Um, YouTube hit 10,000 subscribers over the new years, which is a big deal for me. YouTube is a grind. I'll tell you that much. Um, so if you could subscribe there, that would be great. I do a lot of long form content like this. Well, this will be on YouTube, but, uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple podcasts, 
please subscribe to my YouTube. If you want to watch these as well, like I always film myself when I do the YouTubes, you know, uh, when I do the YouTubes, uh, when I do the podcast, um, you know, like whether I have a guest or not, it's always filmed and recorded. And um, what else? Teambrockashby.com. If you want to be coached by me um, in whatever capacity that could be built by Brock, which is my online membership where you get new workouts, new nutrition, new educational videos uh, every month. Or it could be one-to-one coaching with me or any of my guides, which are ultimately self-directed, where you will not be annoyed by me very much, but you're still in the Facebook group community where I can help you when needed. So for that, I have the 16-week mail guide, um, the mail guide 2.0, which is ultimately the second version of the 16-week mail guide. And then I have the beginner's guide as well. So yeah, that's me. Uh, Please give me uh, great reviews on my podcast. That would very much help. And uh, yeah, like and subscribe on YouTube, all that kind of good stuff. I'll see you next time. Bye.